So our scripture passage this morning uh, comes from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26. I encourage you to listen and hear what the Lord is saying. Then someone came to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Everybody doing? Mic check, mic check. I feel like I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm in a concert, getting ready to turn up, as the young folks say, with the mic. But I, I am getting ready to turn up, because this, this is the day. Let me make sure I got this right. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, the scripture says. Let us rejoice and be glad therein. How many of you are glad to be here on this Lord's day? Yes. God deserves a hand of praise. And God, the scripture says that God inhabits our praises. Meaning that, 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 God, that God exists, that, that the very uh, existence of God, that God receives into God's existence our praise, which is a blessing. Now, I'm trying to get all my little mic stuff together here so I don't slam. You know, God is real, but technology is something. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil off in here. So, the title of our sermon this morning is, When You Think You Have It All Together. When You Think You Have It All Together. Let us pray. Eternal God, we, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for all the things that you are doing in our lives. I thank you for your beauty and your wonder and your grace and your miracles and your love divine. I thank you for your people who've gathered here to, together this morning. And I thank you for the reason of our gathering. And that is because we are redeemed by Jesus the Christ. And because you have taught us and you desire that we love one another and gather together. 
Now bless us as we are here today. Send your word as only you can send your word. Use me at this time, God, so that your people might not only hear your word, but that they may be redeemed by your word, that they may be transformed by your word, that they might be motivated to do good works because of your word. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to begin with this misnomer. Very few people, very few people believe that they, are, that they have it together all the time. I don't think that people walk around in this world thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just all together. I'm just all together. I'm just, I'm just everything. I'm just it. I think very few people believe that they have it all together all the time. In fact, I would venture to say this morning, depending on your context, depending your situation or your situation in life, that most folk think of themselves much too frequently, far too often, most folk, I think, think of themselves as lacking. We don't think of ourselves as having it all together. We don't walk around with our chest out. Most people, you know, I'm all together. Most people instead think of themselves as lacking in some way. Too tall, too short, not smart enough, not thin enough, not muscular enough, not cute enough, not good enough, not so on and so forth. You know, I think most human beings have these thoughts about who they are as people. Now, the people who love us love us for who we are right now. The people who really love us love us for who we are right now. But no matter how often, and you can say ouch and amen, maybe I'm going to meddle a little bit this morning. But no matter how often they tell us that they love us, don't you find it strange that we dismiss their affirmations and instead we so quickly hang on to those internal conversations, those internal critiques? We're hard on ourselves. You know, I, I, will, I, I will admit to that. I can be hard on myself than any critic because I'm always trying to get it just right. And the people who love me, they love me just for me. But now at the end of these thoughts about what we lack, it's interesting to me that we don't ask ourselves, we may say, I'm not tall enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not fine enough, I'm not so on and so forth. But we don't end that with asking ourselves the question, for who? I'm not tall enough. For who? I'm not smart enough. For who? I'm not bright enough. For who? Not cute enough. For who? And that's really, really important, that for who? Instead, very often, we specialize in what's called imposter syndrome. How many have ever, ever heard of imposter syndrome? Boy, you know, we can really, really specialize in imposter syndrome. And I've had imposter syndrome through every 
program, every degree program I've, I've been in. You know, I had imposter syndrome. I didn't think I was good enough, you know. Didn't think I was ready for it. Thought that people would, at some point in time, find me out as the fraud that I thought myself to be. And while we may be able to say who the not for is, you may be able to say, well, I'm not tall enough for my sister, she's always telling me, I'm sure. Or I'm not tall enough, or I'm not smart enough for my teacher, she's always telling me I need to do this. We may be able to figure out the not enough, who the not enough for is. I think it takes work not to shake off the burden of comparing ourselves, comparing our, ourselves to those traits that we see in others that we desire for ourselves, you know. It's, that's, a, that, that's really a hard thing to pull off. Even on the occasions where we think we have it all together, and let me just say for the record that I really would like for us to have more of those occasions because I think it's really healthy for us from time to time to just think, oh, oh yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm all that and a bag of chips. I think that's healthy every once in a while to have that feeling about yourself. Even in the Bible, you, you will see where King David comes back from war and he looks around and everything looks decimated. But what does David do? The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I believe sometimes we do have to have moments where we stick our chest out. I think we, it's healthy for us to have moments where we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Oh, oh yeah, I did that. Never thought I could, but look at me. I can change a tire. Woohoo! You know, we need to have those moments where we really, really encourage ourselves, where we stick our chest out. I'll give you a case in point. So I just spoke about a car. So I had this car, and um, I decided one day I could do it myself. So I went back. For those of you that are psychologists, psychiatrists, I went, to my, I went all into my child ego. And I decided that I could put this uh, car wash fluid, car windshield wiper fluid, in the car myself. It's just fluid. You open it up, you unscrew it, you pour it in. Uh, except I put it in a radiator. <laughs> Woo! You felt that, didn't you, Rico? <laughs> I'm smart enough. I can read. You know, I can do this. And my neighbor, who was a mechanic, bless his memory, Mr. M Mr. Morrow. My neighbor, who was a mechanic, came over to my garage. He saw me. You know, he'd be out tinkering all the time. He saw me just going in. Red, what's wrong? Mr. Morrow, you won't believe what I did. And, he, and I told him what I did, he started laughing. He said, Rev, you just leave this to me. Just leave, and it's good to have people like that. And he said, you, you know, basically he, be he began to talk to me about how I was smart in what I do. And I said, you're right. Everybody is, has their area of expertise in life, it's, but it's up to us to figure out, you know, with the help of God, what is your area of expertise? I hate to hear people say, I'm dumb. I, 
I just, that, that, that just troubles me for someone to say, well, you know, I, or to say, you know, I'm not as smart as you. My, the way that I often respond is, no, you're not, you're, you may not be as smart as I am in theology or in ethics, but look, you travel in the lane and I could never do what you do. I could never do what Mr. Morrow did. I don't even like to open up a hood of a car unless I have somebody with me. You know, I have managed to put a little oil in the car and probably I shouldn't do that because then I think you need to change the filter and all this other stuff. <laughs> so that's not my area of expertise. So I think it's really important that we do have moments where we can stick our chest out and say, okay, I've done this, I've got this, and I'm good at this. But then there are those occasions, even when we have these moments, that we are at risk of someone coming up to us with, without any solicitation on our part, and they will pop our proverbial bubble of self-esteem. There's some people in this world, I think, who specialize in trying to deflate people's ego when they're having a good moment, okay? The young folks call them haters. <laughs> I love that term, you know, you're just hating on me, you're just a hater. Don't believe your haters. And they're really good about motivating folk not to get caught with the haters of this life, but rather to work to really turn the attention to oneself. And I like this scripture. I like this passage of scripture for today. I like this text about this rich young ruler precisely because this here is a man who thinks he has it all together, okay? Even though he thinks he has it all together, here is a man who has enough sense to submit himself to Jesus. He, he, he believes he has it all together, but at least he has enough sense to submit his behavior, to submit the works that he's done in life to the scrutiny of Jesus Christ. It's a scary thing to listen to a Christian who says, I've never done anything to be forgiven for. I've never done anything where I need the Lord to help me out. That's, 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 a, that's some crazy whack stuff there. Because we are all imperfect human beings. And so here's this rich young ruler, you know, thinks he has it all together. He, you know, he walks up to Jesus and he begins to count out to Jesus. Okay, now Jesus, this is what I want. Tell me, Jesus, tell me, good teacher, tell me, teacher, tell me, rabbi, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And you see in the text where Jesus begins to list out, because, you know, you're going to come to me and you're going to ask me this question about good deeds. What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to list all the commandments. And the young man comes back. Oh, I got that. That's a done deal. I've done all those since I was a little one. I've done all of that since I was a little one. 
What's central here is the Ten Commandments. They sit in the background of this text, the Ten Commandments. Many households when I was growing up had images of the Ten Commandments in the household. You know, you had them, uh, your parents made you memorize them. You knew, you know, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, I need to do this. Ten Commandments, and we basically thought that keeping those commandments would have us set to make it to heaven. Can you imagine keeping all the commandments? I can't, I have, n I don't know if I've been in a point in my life. <sighs> Some using me, you see. And I'm thinking about those Ten Commandments, you see. Think about them. Think about those Ten Commandments. You shouldn't what? Thou shall not steal. I failed that. I failed that as a teenager. I'm tell my nickname for everybody out here. My nickname is Honey Bun. Don't, everybody say it with me, Honey Bun. I want y'all to get that off your chest. My nickname is Honey Bun because I had the audacity to go into a 7-Eleven and steal a Honey Bun and get caught. I love them. Thank you, Darren. I love them. I love them. But if you're trying to keep all the Ten Commandments, you're going to fail. If you're trying to keep any list of things, you, you got these lists. I think this is the important part of this text. Because when we think we got all these, we got, we could check off the list of sins, the Lord will pull back the covers and say, but this one. You know, but this one. This is why I'm very cautious about talking about you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, this sin, that sin, the other sin. Because I know that God is dealing with each of us. God is trying to deal with each of us. And when we think we have it together, that's when we really don't have it. But you know, some of us will go and try to checklist our way through life. And let me tell you, you cannot checklist your way through life with the intention to make it, making it to heaven. Because then Jesus says, you know, he goes, he says, you know, I've done all this. Now, what do I lack? What do I lack? And we're back to that question again, aren't we? What do I lack? And this young ruler was stuck on something. What do I lack? I've done all this. He was stuck on things that he thought that through his own mechanisms through his own hard work he could acquire. What do I need to do? I've, I've got all the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done the whole list, Jesus. Now what do I lack? Bring it on. Bring it on. Well, then Jesus says to him, would you know, I'm going to need you to be perfect. I'm going to need you to be perfect. I'm going to need you to be your best self. And in order to be your best self, I'm going to need you to go and sell all your material goods. Ouch. Ouch. You got me just where I wasn't ready, Lord. You hit me with, you hit me with that thing where, that I wasn't ready for. I would have never imagined you would have asked this me. You know? I get, you know, this is it. This is the problem with keeping a list of rules for your life that you think will get you in heaven. Because from your perspective, 
you see the world, you see walking as a Christian in a particular way. But from the perspective of the Lord, there's always another level. There's always something else that God is calling us to do in order, in order to do what? In order to be our whole selves. And I will tell you, I love this text because it's so true in life that when we think we have it all together, the Lord shows us our blind spots. And God shows us our blind spots in a way that no one else in our life show us. You would imagine that this, this is a young man, okay, who's been keeping the commandments since his birth, who's been trying to make it into the kingdom since his birth. You would have thought that somebody in his life would have told him, I think you need to do this too. I think you need to do that too. But it seems from the text okay, that he set off on this kind of adventure with his own perspective, and that's dangerous. We all need someone else because we all have blind spots. And so when Jesus says to him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need you to give up everything you have. What does the text say? That was the breaking point for him. And the Bible says that he walked away grieved. Now, we're, we're, we're talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. And we're talking about the hard sayings of Jesus, I think, because, I, because they will help us, I believe, to face who we are as human beings. To face who we are as human beings and to think about those areas in our lives where God is calling for more from us, where God is saying to us, you know, I'm going to need you to look at that. I'm gonna, and this is Lent season, isn't it? This is the season where we're supposed to be doing this kind of self-reflection, okay? And so if you're really going to be honest about the self-reflection, there can be no area of our lives no area of our lives that we that cannot be held under the divine microscope of Jesus the Christ. If we're going to be serious about it, you know, and Lent will pull you in that way. And God is saying, look, I need you to come up higher in this area. What are you going to do when God taps you in that area of your life that you would have never imagined? And we all have areas in our lives that we hold on real tight to, and that we think we've done it just right, that we think we've got it all together. And isn't it just like God to come along and say, no, not really. You really don't have it together there. No, 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 I really, I, I need you to let that go. So essentially, what was Jesus saying to the, to the young, rich young ruler? I need you to sacrifice. I need you to sacrifice. I need you to make an ultimate sacrifice. Now, this is, this is the beauty of this text. Here is Jesus, and for us, we've read, we know what is to come, okay? We know what is to come, so we know that Jesus is going to sacrifice his life for our salvation. 
and Jesus, the one who is going to sacrifice his life for our salvation, stands before this young man for whom if you were to look at from the outside, you would think, oh, he's got it all. He's done everything just right. He's been giving to the poor and to the hungry. You know, he's made his charitable donations. He's never cheated anybody. And Jesus hits him with that gift these things up. Essentially, Jesus says, I need you to make a sacrifice. Now, the reason I'm here at this point in this sermon talking about sacrifice is because Lent is also about sacrifice. What are you willing to give up? Not something that's easy. It's so, I mean, during Lent, I hear so many people give up things that are easy. I'm gonna give up chocolate. Yeah. Well, that might, that might be hard for some people, but for a lot of people, you know, you know, we got, we got an abundance of food. Giving up chocolate, uh, not quite a sacrifice. But Lent is a season, is a period of sacrifice. You know, it ought to pull us. It ought to bring out, it ought to bring something out of us that we never imagined for ourselves. And so Jesus has said to this man, yeah, there's some stuff that you put above God. And that's the, that's the point. What in your life might you have put above God that God is asking you to give up? What might you have put above God? It gets real quiet. And God is saying, I need you to sacrifice. I need you to give up. And when the disciples hear Jesus tell this rich young man, I need you to sell everything, everything that you own. Come on and follow me. And when the man walks away grieved, the disciples being the disciples, because I probably would have been in this number too. They look at Jesus, they think about everything that they have left to follow Jesus, and they look at everything that this rich young ruler has done, and they're like, my God, if he's requiring this of him, what must he be requiring for us? And they're, they're flabbergasted. And the words, and these, these words are important. Well then, how can anyone be saved? We've left everything to follow you, Lord. And if, if in so doing you still require more of us, and if in so doing you say with hum humankind, with man, this is going to be impossible, but with God, it's possible. This is your response, Jesus? After we've left everything to follow you? Yes. Yes, my friends. That's the response of Jesus Christ. Because, and I'll end with this, God never asks us to sacrifice something that God does not know we have, we, we have the capacity to do. Okay? And... Here's the other thing, when you think you have it all together, just understand this, you can never 
You can never work your way into heaven. You can't work yourself. You can't, you know, when I, when I became, I was a young Christian, I thought, okay, I'm gonna be a, I will just be a good girl. It's not enough being, it's, there's not enough good Pamela to make it into heaven. There's not enough of our own doing. That's why we have grace. And this is where I want to leave us with grace. You can never do enough to be perfect. You can never do enough of your own to be acceptable in the kin kingdom of God. This is why we need grace, the unmerited favor of God. For when we could not do of our own, God sent Jesus to Christ, and Jesus offers us grace so that in our imperfections, grace kind of carries us over. And for that, I'm thankful. And this is why during communion, I say often when we're, before we receive communion, I say in the Protestant realm, in Protestant churches, there is nothing that you could do to make you acceptable enough to receive communion. Communion functions on grace. The remembrance of Jesus Christ functions on that unlimited, you didn't deserve it, I'm just gonna love you as you are, favor of God. And that is why we have an open communion table. And, and I pray that Protestants will always have an open communion table. Because what you could not do for yourself, Jesus, God through Jesus Christ, has done for us. And for that, we give God thanks and praise. Amen. May it be so.